You know, God, of course, is the author of all of human history, and human history is not cyclical, as some would say, but human history is an arrow to the point of God's design, the culmination of all the ages, the glorification of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the dispatchment of Satan into a literal lake of fire and hell forever and ever. History is not cyclical. History is an arrow shot right to God's objective. And human history unveils uh, increment by increment, day by day. And the ways that we often understand the passage of God's plan is the evening television news. Uh, we see what's going on in the world in the news uh, cast. We see what's going on in the Bahamas in these newscasts. And maybe you have said, I've heard it said, that I don't watch the news. It's so upsetting, and it's so depressing. What I would say to that, respectfully, is that the most effective evangelists watch the news. And the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, the supreme and perfect evangelist, he watched the news. Of course, he had no TV, but he watched current events when he was on earth. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, we see a very interesting account of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he interfaced with current events in Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The current event that was brought to Christ's attention was a current event that he was well aware of before it was brought to his attention. And the current event in question was a gory thing. Pilate's soldiers attacked some innocent Jews as they were worshiping God and presenting their animal blood sacrifices at the Jewish temple. And their brutal murders caused their human blood to mix with the sacrificial animal's blood. Gory. The kind of news which I'm sure spread very fast because back then, as it is today, all the bad news spreads a lot faster than the good news, right? And those people who raised the incident, the news headline, to the Lord wanted his thoughts. They wanted his reaction. They wanted his evaluation of that news story. And instantly, the Savior transitioned from the local news to theology. Effortlessly, Jesus bridged the headline reports to God. Look again at verse 2. And he answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? Jesus used the slaughter which was on the forefront of the average person's mind at that time to teach all the people that they were as bad off before a holy God as they could be without a relationship of faith with that God. 
This is called total depravity, and I'll be teaching on total depravity tonight at 6.30. I hope you'll come back. Verse 3, Jesus' words, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you all you will all likewise perish. Now, don't miss this, brothers and sisters. Jesus moved from the current event to total depravity to the need for repentance. That, I would submit, is brilliant. It's beautiful and it's relevant. Christ made universal sin and the need to repent of it the point of the news story that the Roman soldiers had slaughtered Jewish worshipers at the temple. And yes, our Lord made the sharing of spiritual truth relevant by bridging the local news to the need which all humans have for forgiveness from a forgiving God. You know, we could do the same. We could choose and pray and work to bridge local news events that matter to Bahamians that aren't Christians yet to the truth of theology, the truth of salvation. We could do that. Dr. Miles Monroe's plane crash. Violent crime on the islands. Fatherless families. The Rubus gas spill. That. Underachieving public schoolers on the standardized academic tests. Just to name a few, these would be excellent ways for us to get to spiritual truth with lost non-Christian Bahamians, and I will come back to these actual illustrations later in this sermon to show you how you could do that specifically. But for now, I want to tell you another way you can do that. Thursdays, a lot of you buy the newspaper to read the obituaries. Obituaries can be used to turn conversations to spiritual things too. For instance, an obituary for a 70-something-year-old woman ran in the Boston newspaper. And tucked in the middle of her obituary was this sentence. Tom Brady is innocent. Tom Brady, if you don't know, is the quarterback of the New England Patriots. And there was a a fuss that the New England Patriots, and with Brady's knowledge, underinflated footballs last NFL playoff season and to their advantage. And the NFL commissioner, after a study, uh, rule that they did that and gave Brady a four-game suspension for the new season without pay and fined the team a million dollars, and they lost some draft picks. But this lady, when she died, she instructed her family in her obituary to say, Tom Brady is innocent. Really? I mean, really? But could you not turn to someone after you pointed out that obituary and say, what's important to you? What's important enough to you that you will tell your family to put it in your obituary? Is God in there anywhere? Let me tell you about Christ. Or a second obituary ran in a New York City newspaper. It was for a 104-year-old woman who died in a New York City hospital. As it turned out, when she was 80 years old, 24 years prior to her death, she checked herself into a New York City hospital. She had no medical problem, and she lived there for 24 years. She had no medical problem. She just took up a bed in a room for 24 years. She collected antique dolls, and she played with her antique dolls in her hospital room for 24 years. She had few visitors. She had no family. Turns out she was the sole recluse heir 
to a family fortune of over $500 million. No descendants. Antique dolls. She owned a mansion in California that she never visited. She left no one her money. You share that obituary with somebody, and then you say, why do you think she checked herself into a hospital and lived there willingly for 24 years? Do you think she might have been fearful that no one would care for her? Do you think she might have been petrified that when she actually did need medical help, it wouldn't get to her very fast since she was a recluse? What do you fear? What do you fear in this life? What do you fear in your afterlife? You see, current events, even obituaries, can be used by the prayerful and alert Christian to transition from news headlines to heaven and hell issues. Still in Luke 13, back to verses 4 and 5. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will be all likewise perish. Turns around that Jesus knew of another current event that he wanted to share with them. They didn't even bring this one up, but Jesus brought it up to them. He turned it around on them. He used the news on them to make the theological point in this case. He said that there was this tower that collapsed. And there was a lot of people who died. And he asked, were they worse sinners than the people the tower didn't fall on? Of course, the answer is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sin is sin to God. So no, they weren't worse sinners. But they evidenced the fact that all sinners need to repent of their sin and come to God in faith. Maybe that's you this morning. If you've never been saved. And so, brother, sister, for us to be relevant, one of the ways to be relevant as we evangelize the lost is to know and to use current events, news stories, what's happening in the Bahamas right now, what's happening around the world. We can use these current events to illustrate biblical truth because the fact is that most non-Christians read newspapers before they ever read a Bible. Put another way, we need to take the Bible to non-Christians by using current events as they can be explained by the Bible. There is another good example in the New Testament of being relevant in sharing the gospel by utilizing what is going on in the news of the day, and it was the Apostle Paul. And we read about this in Acts 17, so I invite your attention to Acts 17. Acts 17 I'm going to start reading at verse 16 and stop periodically to make some comment. Acts 17, beginning at verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. Let me stop there. Athens was a major city in the ancient Roman Empire. It was a city which was known for its philosophies and its philosophers and their writings and debates, intellectual debates. In some ways, Athens back then was like Oxford, England today, a place of academics, a place of intellectual snobbery, a place of intellectual mind games, a place of religious theory rather than practice, a pagan place, a place of many idols, a dark place that claimed to be very enlightened. 
Athens was one of the main think tanks of Paul's day. And in all of its thinking and writing and research and speculation and debate, it didn't lead to holiness. Instead, it led to wickedness and to self-indulgence, which was really bondage to self and to Satan. By the way, when a person rejects God to serve themselves, they put themselves in a cage. Push it far enough. Howard Hughes, a billionaire, died with his fingernails three feet long, his toenails three feet long, his hair greasy in a hotel room. Self-indulgence is its own prison. And these philosophers back in Athens claimed to be so enlightened, but they were wicked. They were self-indulgent. They were in bondage to self and bondage to Satan. And will you notice from verse 16 that the Apostle Paul, as he walked into that system, into that culture, into that city, was provoked in his spirit over the blatant idol worship of Athens. He was provoked. He was agitated. He was really offended. That is to say, the rampant idolatry greatly disturbed Paul in his deepest levels. I probably he lost sleep over their idolatry. He could not let it slide. He could not leave it for someone else to address. He could not get his mind off of it. And he began to consider how to preach Christ against their particular idolatries. But in the meanwhile, he looked around him and he waited. Verse 16, now while Paul was waiting for them, he looked around him in Athens and he waited and he searched for bad stuff that could help him tell them about good stuff. He looked for the bad stuff that would help him tell the Athenians about the good stuff. He looked for examples in their then current events that could point them back to the past events of Jesus' cross and empty tomb. Now, in my own life, I have found that usually I come to my best insights when I am slowed down, when I am waiting when I am better to observe and to evaluate what's going on around me, when I'm best able to draw proper connections and conclusions, it's when I think and observe and I'm quiet. That's why I always carry around a three-by-five card and a pen in my pocket every day. Because when I hear something on the news, when I see something on the streets, when I have a conversation with someone, when I listen to the radio, when I'm on Facebook or other social media, I have this to write down things that I want to think about so that I can bridge from them to the gospel as an evangelist. Maybe you could relate. We will be more relevant, brothers and sisters, when we choose to slow down, to observe, to be grieved in our spirits over sin, and to pray about how to speak up for Christ through the current events and the news headlines and scripture. So amazingly enough, and it really is amazing, that listening to or watching Chicken Noodle News, I mean CNN, <laughs> or listening to or watching ZNS or BBC or NBC or ABC or Fox or CBC can actually be a spiritual exercise. Never thought you'd hear that said in a pulpit. Well, there was Paul waiting in Athens 
agitated, but observing idol worship, getting provoked in his spirit, getting wound up by the Holy Spirit like a spring. And when the time was right, he just released the sermon. And what a sermon it was. You know, the idolatry in the Bahamas ought to really provoke you. The things that our countrymen worship that aren't God of the Bible ought to really irritate you. Greed, money, politicians, education, lust, sloth, laziness, television, video games, illegitimate begging, Facebook, casino gambling, sports teams, United States of America, Hollywood, promiscuity, alcohol, drugs, irresponsibility. These things ought to bother us because people worship these things. They're idols. Now, quickly, I want to have your eyes scan through verses 16 to 23. I'm not going to read 16 to 23, but I like your eyes to go down as I list the participles of these verses. Participles are verb modes or, or forms that have an ing ending. Watch the participles in verses 16 to 23. This is what made Paul ready to preach to the Athenians, these participles. Waiting, verse 16. Beholding, verse 16. Being provoked, verse 16. Reasoning, verse 17. Conversing, verse 18. Preaching, verse 18. Teaching, verse 19. Passing through, verse 23. Examining, verse 23. These participles tell us the story and the progression that Paul went through as he sat in Athens surrounded by idolatry and he knew he must speak for God. And the Apostle Paul was very relevant back then in Athens preaching his evangelistic sermon because before he preached, he was waiting. He was beholding. He was passing through. He was examining. He was being provoked. He was reasoning. He was conversing. And then and only then he preached. And guess what? When I don't wait for those participles or you don't wait for those participles. We skip over them. We skip over the waiting, the beholding, the passing through, the examining, the being provoked, the reasoning, the conversing. When we pass over those things, then often what we say is perceived to be irrelevant. And so, to drive the point home, I hope knowing current events helps to serve to bridge theological truth to non-Christians who otherwise aren't interested in theological truth. Knowing current events bridges the Bible to those who are otherwise bored by the church. Knowing the news helps in making the gospel gripping to those who are not Christians. So back to Paul. He took note of what was going on in Athens. He paid attention to the current events back then. He wanted to be as relevant as possible, so he made it his business to know as much as possible about what was on the forefront of the average Athenian. Then he was ready to preach relevantly. And look what he preached. Oh, boy, he preached it all. He used the current events and the news of that day as the jumping off point for so much timeless truth. Really quickly, start looking at verse 22. And Paul stood in the midst of the Oropagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. 
Now watch this. Paul turned the Athenians' spiritual things by walking across the figurative bridge of them being very religious. Brilliant. Because the Athenians would not have denied being very religious. In fact, they were proud of being very religious. They liked the label. And there were two types of philosophers there in Athens at that time. The Epicureans. The Epicureans believed that happiness was the chief end of life. There are Epicureans on our islands. People who believe that happiness is the chief end of life. The scriptures say that godliness and the glory of God are the chief ends of life. But Epicureans didn't say that. They believed that happiness was the chief end of life. Then there were the Stoics. These were philosophers on the other end of the spectrum. Stoics believed that the rational mattered and the emotional didn't. These people stressed it's all about your head. They didn't really care about your heart. They are wrong too. So these guys, these Epicureans and these Stoics, were intellectual and philosophical snobs. And they looked down their noses in great disrespect on the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 18, please. And also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, and some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? I mean, idle babbler in Greek can be translated seed picker. What can this uneducated, unsophisticated, poor-thinking farmer teach us? He's an intellectual wimp. He's a heck. That's what they thought. But I love how the Apostle Paul didn't let that slam daunt him one little bit. He kept the foot on the pedal. He didn't hit the brake. Instead, he thought of bridges to reach these arrogant snobs who are at the Oropagus. He put his own feelings aside. He put his feelings behind the cause of Christ. He was about the mission God had sent him to after conversion on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, which was taking the truth about Jesus to the Gentiles. And there he was in Gentile Central. He didn't get discouraged. He didn't get distracted. He didn't get detoured. He stayed right on task because he put his own feelings behind the cause of Christ. We need to do that. We need to develop thick skin. Now, you and I have many bridges to lost people we know, many bridges. These are things which you share in common with the lost person, and they are bridges you can walk over to the lost person without compromising your testimony, without violating your conscience, in order to share the gospel, in order to earn a hearing to share Christ. What are some of the bridges that might be here in our lives that are represented? Fishing, reading, school studies, parenting, gardening, extra school curricular activities, marriage, music, activities like boating, computers, cooking, art, woodworking, jogging, lots of bridges. Things that you have in common with lost people that you can walk across without compromising your stand for Christ or his reputation. So you can tell people how to get saved. Now back to Paul's sermon. Will you notice with me that Paul very intentionally crossed 
these bridges. The we're very religious bridge, verse 22, he crossed that. And then he crossed the bridge, we worship gods, verse 23. And then he also crossed the bridge, we acknowledge that there's an unknown God bridge. He found those three bridges because he sat in Athens, he thought about it, while he was provoked, and he said, those are three bridges I can walk across without compromising my walk with Christ, and I can get Christ to them. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Verse 23. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Interesting, the seed picker was pointing out their ignorance. The seed picker was pointing out their ignorance. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. And what therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. This is where Paul observed the reality of where they were at in their philosophies, and he told them what they most needed to hear in this sermon. He cited the inscription to an unknown God. He cited their ignorance with respect to truth about worship, and not surprisingly, he launched into his sermon with who God is. That's always the right place to start. Verses 24 through 26. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation." So will you notice very quickly, I'm going to take you through this sermon, and you just marvel at all the theology he imparted to them because he walked across their bridges and used current events. First, he started with God being creator of a creation. Because you have to start with God, who is a creator of a creation, to get it right. Someone has said, if you get Genesis chapters 1 through 11 right, you will get the rest of the Bible right. But if you get Genesis chapters 1 through 11 wrong, you can't get the rest of the Bible right. So he starts with God as creator of a creation that includes people. And then after starting with God as creator of a creation, Paul preached on the fatherhood of God, who has revealed himself, verses 27 to 31 that they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. And even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. He knew their poetry. 29. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore... Having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because he had fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Can you hear the Athenians right here? They're going, <gasps> or... <clears throat> The Bible and Jesus either makes you mad or glad. 
And will you notice with me that after starting the sermon with God as creator of a creation, including human beings, he moves on to preach God's omnipresence. He is not far from each one of us, verse 27 says. And then he preached God's provisions. In him we live and move and exist, verse 28. And then he preached God's spirit, non-material nature. He said in verse 29, divine nature is not like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and thought of man. And then he's talked about God's mercy, preached about the mercy of God in verse 30, part A, having overlooked the times of ignorance. That's mercy. He talked about God's holiness that demands human repentance from sinful people. Verse 30b, all everywhere should repent. And then he moved his sermon to God's sovereignty, that God's the boss, the ruler of the universe and of individual lives. And in verse 31, part A, he said this of sovereign God, he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world. Human history is not cyclical. Human history is an arrow to the destination point of God's will and glory. And his sermon included God's authority. Verse 31a, he will judge the world. It included reference to God's righteousness. He will judge the world in righteousness. And he preached God's promise of a Messiah, a Savior. In verse 31, second part of the verse, he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed. We know him to be Jesus. And last, in this incredible sermon that was born out of prayer, born out of observation, born out of trying to understand the bridges he could walk across to pagan, arrogant philosophers and give them the truth, the last point of this sermon was God's omnipotence. 31c, raising him, Messiah, from the dead. Raising him, Messiah, from the dead. Now, that's a lot of teaching, church. That's a lot of preaching. That's evangelizing and calling sinners, even sophisticated, educated sinners, to repent and to trust the Messiah alone for salvation. And it all started with observing and waiting in Athens and doing his homework. Trying to see current events, current climates, current mindsets that he could use and bring the truth to bear upon. Please don't miss this. You can do the same. You don't have to be a seminary graduate. You don't have to be a Bible college graduate. You don't have to be a born-again Christian for 40 years. If you know enough to be saved, you know enough to be an evangelist. And if you have a television, a computer, a neighbor that talks... You can know the news, and you can find news stories, and you can prayerfully link them up to truth in the scriptures. Every one of us can do this. And they will make, this will make our proclamation of the gospel more relevant. It can be as simple as this. This afternoon, you can meet someone where you live, your neighbor, and you can ask this simple question. Lately, which news story matters to you the most? At the water cooler this week at your work, you could simply ask, what do you think of the news? Whatever they say, you can get into it if you've thought it through. If you're living with a three-by-five card in your pocket kind of alertness. Bridges to the gospel through current day Issues. 
Let's go back to Dr. Miles Monroe's tragic plane crash. People on these islands know all about that, and they grieve the passing of a real evangelical leader. What about saying, you know, when Dr. Miles Monroe was killed in the plane crash, he was ready to meet his maker, are you? Psalm 90, verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. If you were in his plane, would you be in heaven? Or the rising crime in, in, in the country, is particularly violent crime, you know, it's one thing to shake our heads and say it's despicable, and it is. Could that not be a bridge to say, you know, God, God says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have you let Jesus care for your sin? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the human heart is desperately wicked, and who can know it? Or, I know that some people are fixated on the delayed opening of Bahamar, and there's conspiracy theories, and there's criticisms, and I understand. But what about we teach someone who's talking about that to say, you know, I believe I have to say DV, Deo Valente in Latin, God willing that the owner of Bahamar would have done well to say, I will open on such and such a date, God willing. Because God's in control. Do you know a son? Or that, that's a, a popular one. That. What about saying, yeah, that, value-added tax. Do you know what the best possible value added is? Is righteousness and forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? Would you like to know how? Or how about fatherless families? This nation is under a crushing disadvantage of fatherless families. Children are hurting, and wives and mothers are hurting, and families are hurting because of fatherless families. What about we speak to someone about the perfect Heavenly Father, our Father who art in heaven, and talk about the perfect Father in heaven that they could know and they could trust and they could be helped through life with. The Rubus gas spill. Regardless of when the government issued the report, I would say to someone who talks about that, you know what, that's just like sin. When the gasoline spilled out of its containers into the soil, you really had a hard time containing it. And so in a radius of one mile, all the soil had to be tested for toxicity. You know, the only one that I've ever met that can control my sin is Jesus. He can wash me and I'll be clean. He can contain my desire to sin as I know him as Savior. Or how about underachieving students? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we shouldn't lower the standard that students aren't attaining to. We shouldn't similarly lower the standard of God's holiness so that we measure up somehow in our minds. See how we're doing this? We're taking current news events, current headlines, and we're thinking scripturally, we're thinking theologically about these things, and we're making bridges. Or tourism. Tourism is a wonderful industry for this great nation, has been for a lot of years. But you know what about a tourist? If they want to get to a certain key, they can't go any number of ways to get to it. 
If they want to go to a certain tourist site here in Nassau, they can't say it's on the east end of the island while it's at the west end of the island. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, there aren't many roads to God. Are you on the right road? Or government deficiencies. Some would say that the government is deficient in certain ways. I would say, yes, every human government is deficient. Only one government will be perfect, and that is Jesus Christ's kingdom. The king is coming. He came as the lamb for sinners slain at Christmas. He'll come back at his second coming, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Isaiah 11 says he will suppress all evil in his thousand-year kingdom with a rod of iron. Do you know him? We could go on. The overturning of the referendum on gambling when the citizenry voted in majority to do away with gambling and the government took it on anyway. We, as rebels, have overturned God's dictate and need a savior. ISIS. ISIS is the fulfillment of God's prophetic word in Genesis 16 when Ishmael was said to be cursed as he's the father of all Arabic nations and Islam. It's biblical prophecy. And just like ISIS has come on the scene in such a despicable way and God predicted this, there is a predicted final judgment of those outside of Christ called the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. Will you be standing there or will you be spared by Jesus as Savior? You see, there's so many ways to do this, but it takes alertness and it takes a drive to do it. We have to want to be relevant in sharing the good news of Christ with lost people. We have to desire it. I encourage and challenge you to desire it enough to look at the news and to figure out some ways to link the news to, to the gospel. Now, wrapping this up, I'm saying then, to some degree, hear me now, to some degree, being earthly-minded can help us be heavenly good as relevant witnesses. So here's three things I want you to do. He said, okay, Pastor Rob, I've heard, you know, you're supposed to use current events to help people who are non-Christians to come to Christ. Now, what am I supposed to do with this? Am I, this is theory? No, it's not theory. I want you to do three things. First, this week, I want you to start watching or listening to some sources of the news, looking for current events that link their way back to illustrating salvation. And then I want you to write down when you see one. Somewhere. Have a way of writing this down on your smartphone or on your 3 by 5 card or something. Start watching and listening to the news if you haven't been, and if you have been, looking for news stories that will help you share Christ. Second, I want you to do this. Within a week before next Sunday, I want you to share Christ with a lost non-Christian person using the bridge of either a shared interest, hobby, or a current event. I want each of you to share Christ this week going across a bridge, or using current events. Third, I want you to tell someone what happens when you do that. Pick up the phone. You know Pastor Rob's challenge from the Word this Sunday? This is what happened. I told Sally about a news story in the paper this morning. This is what God did. Tell somebody. 
It's exciting to see what God's going to do. May we be delivered from being a holy huddle where we just meet every Sunday as football players and call the plays and then we never run the plays. We just come back and huddle next Sunday. The football game is played on the field, right, with an opponent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truthfulness of your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for Jesus' example of using current events to bring theological truth to people who desperately needed those things. Help us, Lord, to love the lost enough to enter into these things that may be new to us and may be challenging to us. Lord, I pray that as we do these things in obedience and in prayerful dependence upon you with a powerful gospel, that we will see you save people this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory alone. And God's people said, amen.